we need to tend to the internalized oppression. We need to tend to all of the garbage that we've absorbed since the time we were born. We need to tend to our inner life and we need to, as Mark said, bring in whether it's joy, love, connection, the joy of love, the joy of connection and to feel full to do this. Otherwise, how can we be effective instruments? Welcome to the Live Your Fuck Yes Life podcast. Your place for all things health, wellness, self-care, and real talk. I'm Amanda Catherine Loy, health coach, actor, and badass extraordinaire. Each week, I'll bring you a guest or a thought with some serious real talk to help you find your passion, speak your truth, and get you one step closer to living your fuck yes life. Are you ready? Here we go. Hey, 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 you guys. Welcome to episode 47 of the podcast. Today's conversation is hella fucking juicy. And I actually am bringing on a married couple to the pod, which I've only done once before. I don't tend to have a lot of dudes on here, but I really, really, really dig um, this duo. And I just feel like what they are putting onto the universe is so freaking amazing. And this is actually one of my favorite conversations I've had. It is hilarious. <laughs> I laugh so hard. Um, and as someone who is constantly looking for ways to cultivate more joy and more social change into my life, I love that these two are focusing on both of those and really f- focusing on fostering a community that gives a space to breed just that in a fun and intentional way. So I'm so excited for you guys to get to meet them. A little bit about each of them. Melanie Klein is an empowerment coach, and she is a thought leader in the areas of body confidence, authentic empowerment, and visibility. She's also a writer, speaker, and professor of sociology and women's studies. We deep dive into a lot of really fantastic conversations uh, around social change and women's bodies, a whole bunch of stuff. Uh, You guys are going to love it. And Mark Cordone is a positive psychology coach. You guys know I'm obsessed with positive psychology. He also is a speaker and author of the book Beyond Resilient, The Coach's Guide to Ecstatic Growth. Um, And he's just like fucking hilarious, like I just have to say. And we talk about so many things in today's episode from the importance of practicing what we preach to simple, tangible ways to actually experience true joy and what that actually means. Um, We dive into kind of the the neuroscience behind of it. So I think you guys are going to really freaking love that. Um, Using personal narrative as a form of empowerment, talking about legacy and what that actually means and how a lot of the way that we are uh, fostering legacy is really removed from true social movements. Um, And then talking about how to actually build a collective for joy and change and using self-care as an act of political warfare and feminism and positive psychology and poop references and just all the fucking things. It is an Amazeballs conversation and I can't wait for you guys to listen. So without further ado, here we go. (laughs) (laughs) Totally. Uh, Amazing. All right. Well, yeah, let's just dive in. I have really wanted to like talk to you guys about a bunch of stuff. I love that you guys are so diverse, but also kind of like dive on really similar things and similar, yeah. I don't know, plat, like plat, your platforms are really different, but what you guys do and the heart mm-hmm. of where, who you are are very similar. And I love that. So, um, awesome. I, I know like your big kind of thing is like the joy revolution, but I would love to hear like more from your perspective. Like, what does that look like to you? And like, why is that a mission that is really important to both of you? Cause joy, for me is like my favorite word on the planet. Like that's the way I want to live my life every fucking day is just like full of joy. Um, but I think that and I guess I, that fuck is your second. Yeah. 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 Word. Fuck is me. Well, maybe fuck is my first. I don't know. <laughs> but like, I don't know. I think that, that word gets floated around a lot and a lot of people are like, well, does that mean you're putting on a fake face? Like, what does that really mean to you guys? Yeah. So I would just love to hear from your guys' perspective. Like what is the joy revolution? What is that mission for? And all that jazz. Okay, yeah. Well, I think the number one thing when it comes to what we're looking at today with like the self-help movement or positive psychology or um, even advertising is this just idea of uh, increasing your own happiness, right? Uh, and, and, and when we were putting together the Joy Revolution, we were like, yeah, that's cool and all. Yet, as we reach larger... Um, uh, larger pieces of joy capacity, what is our responsibility to others? Like, what is our responsibility to go and spread joy to others? Um, it's been studied that joy is probably one of the most, like, 
contagious things out there mm. and yet we're not using it in things like social movements we're not using it um in 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 corporations and organizations we're using things like fear we're using things like anger and while people have every fucking right to be pissed off about um the state of like politics and stuff but when you go and try to create change based on anger that's setting up another system that's based on anger that's going to need to be pulled down again. Mm. So with the joy revolution, what we were looking at is how can we start with ourselves and look at increasing our, our capacity to experience joy? Now, this isn't joy where we're talking about like uh, shits and giggles, uh, Skittles falling from the, the sky. <laughs> Taco. Oh, he would like that. I, I, although that I would like amazing. that. Taco Tuesday, would like that too. Taco Tuesday, every Tuesday, you know, like that's not the type of joy we're talking about. We're talking about the, your ability to effectively take in and experience the emotional ups and downs and all arounds of just mm. living life. And so that's where it starts, increasing your joy capacity. And then from there, where, whatever it is that you're doing, uh, whether it's doing a kick-ass podcast, like mm -hmm. you can take that joy and use that and as a contagion for change. Mm -hmm. And so that's really the core of, of, of the joy revolution. What did, what did I miss? Well, I'm going to go in a totally different direction. So Love I'm going to take it on a more personal note. Cause I think he definitely hit all of the, um, I don't know. I think the, the very big talking points about what can we do, you know, once we have our own individual transformation. And I always talk about individual transformation for collective liberation. Mm. Um, he really covered that larger picture, which is something that comes from both of our backgrounds in social justice, where when, you know, we were having conversations, we both realized, oh, we both stepped out of, I mean, we're talking decades of movement building work on both of our parts mm. on the ground way before the internet, you know, was, yeah. was kind of bringing people together. And finding that the state of movement building and social change work um, has really shifted, I would say, in the last 10 years, definitely in the last five, in a way that just didn't feel uh, personally sustainable to either one of us anymore, mm. because there was so there's so much divisiveness and there's so much policing going on in terms of, you know, how we're using language and, um, you know, there's just so much infighting. And I'm not saying that there aren't important conversations to be had. It just felt that for me, after 24 years of doing this work, I just couldn't sustain being in that kind of space anymore. I needed to have a different catalyst. So, so joy being, like you said, that contagion that can allow movements to have a little more sustainability and to, you know, because here's the thing, anger is a catalyst as well. Um, and if you use it, it can be incredibly powerful. Like, you know, you can use it to um, motivate yourself. Um, a lot of people, especially speaking for myself as a woman, when I first came to feminism, it was a really powerful way to move myself from a place of victimhood and passivity mm -hmm. and yep. low self-worth to feeling empowered. But what happened is once I got to that place, you know, it kind of combusted from the inside out. I was moving into a lot of self-destructive behaviors. Yeah. So at that point, you know, you can use it as a catalyst if you know how to manage it, but then there has to be something else that allows you to continue to move um, in that work, both personally and collectively. So yeah, he got all that and then I, <laughs> I just added that part. But for me, on a personal level, what I also found was um, I'd spent so much time, you know, in the role of educator, leader, community builder, connector, mentor, um, and everything got really serious yeah. <laughs> for a really long time. Yeah. So I would say that I didn't have a good life and that I didn't enjoy my life, but I would say the overall sentiment was um, something that was really devoid of, of joy. Like there, mm -hmm. I wasn't making space for that. And especially becoming a, a mother, you know, where there's a lot of no's and no's and no, I just got to the point where I didn't even like to hear the sound of my own voice anymore. And I felt like, I don't even know who this chick is anymore yeah. because she sounds like a total bummer and a downer. And um, <laughs> I had this experience of just uh, actually with my son and his cousin where there was one night they were staying up and watching a movie and we were on a road trip and I was kind of waiting for them to finish so I could, you know, go to bed. And then they turned off their Marvel movie and we started, uh, they started kind of getting into, you know, 
their version of talking shit at age 10 and 11, you know, <laughs> just kind of yeah. like banter or talk. And normally I would have tried to shut it down. Like, oh, let's manage this. Let's go to bed. And I went, you know, I, I would really like to be my full self, like being the mom, being the organizer, but also being my fun self. And mm -hmm. so we ended up staying up till two in the morning. I was partying with this like nine-year-old and this 10-year-old <laughs> and it was I mean, we laughed so hard. My son and I talk about there was one part where he literally peed his pants and I farted simultaneously. <laughs> and it was this amazing moment of like, oh my God, I forgot I can do all of these really important things mm -hmm. in the world and in my family. And yet I can actually have a lot of fun. Like I yes. don't have to be devoid of joy. In fact, if I bring the joy back into my life, mm. I'm going to be much more effective. It's going to be more sustainable for me and I'm not going to feel so tired. And so that was kind of my personal awareness of the lack of joy. And then when we started having these conversations about, you know, like I said, social um, justice work and movement building, and we had found that that commonality in our background, that was super exciting. And then Mark had the, you know, the brainchild a couple weeks later of this. And it just made so much sense to, to bring all these pieces together because, I mean, I think I can speak for Mark here and you can say more that in many ways, even though he's like the joy master and people <laughs> who watch him on his show, like he's full of levity and joy. I mean, getting to know you on a personal level, I was like, man, this guy's a workhorse too. Mm. There were a lot of places where you weren't building it in anymore. Totally, totally. Um, and, and I think just to kind of build on what Melanie was talking about, I think that was the big reason why I wanted to go to Joy in the first place is ostensibly everything's going well. I was working at a pretty nice prestigious university mm -hmm. doing a prestigious job and I'm coming home at 11 o'clock at night uh, and I, I also happened to be teaching a happiness course so I was like the most unhappy <laughs> yeah. happiness person the irony of that on the face <laughs> of the planet right um and, and really to take a, a spoonful of my own medicine like joy was really one of the only ways that I could sustain my passion. Mm -hmm. It's one thing to be passionate about something and grind it and grind it and grind it and grind it. But that's why you also see people doing movement work where they'll the, the work 24 years of their life and then they can't go back to it anymore because they're so burnt out. You see it in social workers, in nurses, like these high passion professions where people just end up burning out um, because in many ways, they're operating from maybe a, a place of resentment. They're not mm -hmm. getting what they need uh, in terms of, uh, of, of just what they need to function at work. Um, they don't have any resources. They get, they get resentful and they, they want to leave. So, um, yeah, I myself feel it as well. But if I really want to um, really be a long-term joy guy, <laughs> I, I, I have to practice what I preach, you know? Yeah. Um, now, I've never peed and, and farted at the same time. I didn't oh, do that either. I definitely My have. <laughs> <laughs> Let's be I honest here. I definitely time. have. I feel like that I pee my pants a little bit like, like on the weekly. Of, like, <laughs> that sounds like cosmic synchronicity right there. Like, you can, you like leveled up when you do that. <laughs> like, I mean, just bodily functions. Like, right? Let's be honest. Like, they're weird. <laughs> But I just, I love what you guys both said because I, what resonated so much with me and what I can so, so, so like appreciate from my own journey is the checking off of all the boxes and thinking that these shiny pennies and this quote version of success that somebody has maybe given us or that we have imposed upon ourselves or culturally we believe is important to hit you know, that is going to bring us happiness. And we keep looking for that next thing. Like we've arrived and then we keep looking, we keep looking for this next thing. And it's like, well, when can we just fucking embrace what is and like find the joy in the moment? And I like both of you guys, both your stories, the personal stories, like it's so, those are so like understandable. Like it's like, yes, I totally have been there. And everyone listening right now is probably like, yes, I have a moment or multiple moments in my life where I'm like, okay, I finally am doing that job or I'm, you know, finally like ha being that mom and like doing what I'm supposed to do and like had that kid, but it's like, I'm not really joyful in this moment. And like, we are literally the only people that can make that shift. Right. And so 
the joy is not external. It's internal. And the moment that we can flip that and really acknowledge that it's like, fuck. Yeah. I had a shitty day. A lot of messy things happen, but like I can have a dance party in my living room right now, which is basically (laughs) my go-to, you know, and like find the joy. And it doesn't have to be this like crazy huge thing either where it's like, my life is always happy because bullshit that's not happening. Right. And like you said, if we're looking at the world around us, and we're absorbing that and being educators and learning and wanting to be change makers. Like that's going to be a po- a thing that we're going to experience. It's going to be fucked up and negative and messy and that's our life, but we can also implement joy. So getting back to the joy revolution and like, that is, is that mostly a social media, like veg, like tell me more about like what that actually has kind of morphed. This idea has morphed into and kind of how people can become a part of that too. Yeah. Is it, is it also cool, Amanda, if I go back to a few things that you just said? And touch yeah. on them I know. I talk all over the place. <laughs> no, no, no. I love that. And we obviously want to get to that. But there were a few things that you said that brought up, I think, a couple important points I want to yeah, share. Yeah. Um, one was, you know, uh, how you said uh, things can be falling apart and yet you can still take the time out to have a dance party in your living room. Mm-hmm. And I remember, I don't know, a couple months ago, uh, we were working in, in, in the kitchen and uh, I don't know, I think I knowing me, I probably got right on his lap and in his face because I tend to, to, to do that when he's doing other things. I hope you're talking about me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so I got, I, I got on his lap and right in his face, you know, and I'm like right in there. And he's like, you know, he's like, so all around us, the world is burning and we're just like skipping off into the sunset holding hands, <laughs> right? That the things around us haven't changed. I mean, I'll be very honest with you. Um, I had a bit of a breakdown a couple of years ago with the election. I mean, like it was, I was in a really bad place, yep. like up all night crying and it was, it was a thing. And to the point where I was having an existential crisis for quite some time. Um, and so, you know, when I read the news and I, I'm still reading it and looking at what's happening, that has not changed. Mm-hmm. And my commitment and my work in the world has not changed in terms of it lessening. I'm still doing that. But what has absolutely changed is as that's happening, I'm still living my life to the fullest, knowing this is, this is the one I'm in right now, you know, whether or not I'm going to have another one that that's, that's debatable depending on people's personal belief systems, but I'm in this right now. And I want to, despite everything, despite walls crumbling, despite, you know, we had a couple days that were sort of rough like despite all of that I want to be in it fully and extract the joy extract the marrow from the whole experience Mm -hmm. and so that has been a really big game changer for me because you know um and as a mother just looking at everything feeling so overwhelmed and despondent and I would say you know sometimes skirting the edges of depression uh with just my god what did i bring my kid into and what are we dealing with here and what's happening you know in the state of the world that coming back to the reason why we're really here which is connection and love and joy has been a, a mm. huge 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 uh, shift for me in terms of how i can deal with things on in, in on a personal level day to day so there's that and then what you pointed out it connects to that is being in the moment Um, you know, as opposed to looking to these external factors all of the time. And for me personally, one of the elements that I bring into the joy revolution, which I know we haven't fully defined, is bringing in the mindfulness piece. Because, you know, as Mark said, he was teaching a happiness course, but not really living it. And he and I both have a tendency (laughs) to I mean, we're really heady people. I'll be straight up. You know, we intellectualize mm-hmm. things. We said we were at Wicked deconstructing, basically taking notes. Yeah. Right? We want to go back to, to, to take more notes to fit it into, you know, the joy rev. Um, and it, it can be really easy to go into, you know, the headiness of it all and talk, do analysis and theory, which is so much fun. I yeah. love that. Yeah. But if you're not applying it, if you're not actually living it, if you're not doing it, if you're not being it, then, you know, it really falls short of being as effective as it can be. And so I have a 20 plus year, you know, background in yoga, meditation, mindfulness practices in general. And so what I like to bring in is like, okay, great. So we've talked about it. We've conceptualized it, but what does that feel like in your body? Mm -hmm. What is it like to be that and move from that particular place? And so that, that to me is the important piece is where you plug it in. It's like, and all of that can only exist in the truth of this moment, because this is the only moment that exists is 
me, Amanda and Mark talking about this, you know, everything else is done and everything else is yet to come. But if we can be here mm. and suck the marrow, then we can really, you know, um, take it to another level. We can integrate the fullness of the experience and not just have it be another concept that we throw out. Fuck yeah. So Loy here, here you have the- You just of, call her Loy? Yeah. No one's ever called me that before. Loy. Loy. I, I love it. <laughs> so so this is the beauty of, of, of just being in a, a relationship with this person is that she'll be able to drop some heavy knowledge from sort of a yoga- mind and body uh, mindfulness and body standpoint and now i'm gonna go and talk about it from a psychology standpoint where yeah. you were talking about like we kind of get stuck on this sort of uh idea of chasing happiness and from a psychological standpoint um it, there's a lot of different forms of happiness and we only think that there's one mm-hmm. so for, for example there's one form of ha- happiness where it's just like I just want a simple pleasure. I want a hug right now, right? Mm-hmm. For the sake of getting a hug, because it makes me feel good. Mm-hmm. I want to have this goal, a checklist, right? And when I check it, a little dopamine rush goes off in my mind. It means I accomplished a goal. Mm-hmm. That's called the hedonic happiness, right? And a lot of times we, especially in Western society, think that hedonic happiness is the only form of happiness that exists. Although it's a good one. Oh, it's a good one I sometimes. Love it. it feels real good. <laughs> It bees a thing, and like where you, you know, you flash for beads type of heat. But it can be. But it can be. It can. You can fart and pee at the same time and laugh about it. Is sex considered part of that too? Is that would you would you categorize that? And that sex is a part of it because that's like very physical. um, um, Epicurus uh, just meant for it to be simple pleasures, right? Mm -hmm. And so for us. we, we see this job that and sort of the ability to move up and it's like, oh, I'm doing life for these simple pleasures, moving up the ladder very incrementally, right? Mm-hmm. And the next thing you know is you've gotten everything you've ever wanted in life. You've gotten the Nobel Peace Prize and you're like, <laughs> I wish. Oh my God, I want a second <laughs> one. I want a second one. Yeah. That's, that's really called post-success syndrome. Like you get everything that you want and you still feel empty because of it. Now, Aristotle came along and he was like, Epicurus, you're so fucking wrong, man. Like happiness has nothing to do with the simple pleasures and everything to do with you feeling like you're living a good life. Mm. Like like your life is one of virtue. Like your life is one in which at the end of your life, you will not have had regrets. It's living a regret-free life. And so what it looks like is a lot of people are saying, you really want to step off of that hedonic treadmill, which it sounds like we're, a lot of uh, folks in the Western society are stuck on trying to get the next raise, the next this, the next accolade. Mm-hmm. To step off by getting real relationships that like people truly care about you and you truly care about them and also engage in projects that are long-term and that you're passionate about. And so that's basically class one is what are we doing that's long-term and passionate about? Mm. And how is that bringing us like those little hedonistic feel-goods? Just like when you go on Facebook and you see like 900 likes, right? You're like, that's the same type of happiness, right? I know, Loy, what you do. I watch you. I see what you do when you check those likes, Loy. So like, oh my God, it's so the funny. same thing, but you kind of combine the two. And that's the very beginning of the Joy Revolution class. And we, we just take off from there. Which is, yeah, so so going to the question, uh, what is the Joy Rev? I mean, obviously, one of the ways we're both into, um, you know, sharing things on social media. For me, I have a background in also media literacy and representation. Mm-hmm. So, you know, infusing that particular message in the social media sort of ethos, if you will. Um, but we ran a beta course in, in the fall, and then we have another one in January, and then uh, another one coming in March where, like Mark was saying, we go into the analysis, we go into the theory, we talk about, you know, different forms of happiness, we help people discover, you know, and deepen their authentic form of happiness, how to Mm. be it, how to live it. Um, We combine really intersectional feminism, social justice work, positive psychology, sociology, and merge it all together, and then also talk about how do we move beyond branding and go into legacy kind of work? Mm-hmm. How do we then build 
our particular movement that we're infusing with this particular contagion. And um, there are a lot of people within politics, you know, today who have been uh, inspired to kind of, you know, be part of movements, to build movements. And to be quite honest, they don't know what they're doing um, in terms of, you know, they constantly are dipping their feet into places that are really bad and they freak out because they don't know how to relate. They don't know the language or the issues. And so we're saying, okay, so let's also bring in all of the knowledge and experience and research that we've done over, you know, 20 plus years, each of us, and teach people how yeah. to actually build movements and create communities. And then mm. again, share their joy with others and use that as the vehicle. So it's a course, but it's also, we're putting together a book. I've done several books. Yeah. I mean, I'm a huge fan of personal narrative as a form of empowerment mm. and as a way to inspire people who, you know, listen, aren't using this kind of jargon, who who aren't going to end up in a college course or a happiness course at Emory with Mark Cornone or end up in a sociology course with me. Mm -hmm. And um give them the information in a way that's really palatable and digestible and personal narrative, I find is the most powerful way to do that. And so it made sense that, you know, for the people who are in our cohort um, is also writing their story. So that becomes, you know, it's such a personal journey mm -hmm. to write your story. When you have mm -hmm. someone guiding you, um, you start to uncover things that you didn't even expect. And then people who read it, um, can one be affirmed in their own story or and or um, be connected to viewpoints and you know backgrounds and lives very different and that's one of the ways to bridge the gap yeah. so it's a book it's a course we also want to work on the nonprofit level um, there's many many spokes to this hub um, this is just sort of the, the beginning but there's yeah. a, a very grand picture of, of what's going on so. yeah and, and and it's not just sort of uh uh, the, the two of us lecturing the whole time. It really is like teaching in the round, old mm. school, like everyone is a teacher, everyone is a learner. Um, we're built on controversy with civility. Um, you know, uh, back in the 90s, they started talking about things like uh, safe safe spaces. Mm. This is not a safe space, but it is a zone of discomfort that we want to create. Um, where where everyone can start telling their stories. Um, it can get a little bit heady, but that's why we throw in like skateboarding videos and stuff. <laughs> I mean, we'll do anything that we can to disrupt the way that you've been thinking about your conventional way of, of approaching your life with joy or the way you think joy is. Yeah. Um, and the second thing is, is like, I'm going to go in my soapbox. So I, I won't go too far on it, but <laughs> like it. <laughs> you see a lot of internet marketers that are, oh. are, are, that are, are, are poaching people nowadays and telling them that you can build your legacy. You can do this, build your business up, write your this, speak your this. And all it is, is, is a way to fucking pull at someone's legacy ego. It's not movement work. It is yeah. not movement work no. at all. And I don't want to like get in into all like the, uh, the 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 terms and the words, but movement work was actually made for us to identify what are the invisible pieces of society that are fucked up, mm. make them visible and tear them down. It had nothing to do with writing a book and making 8 million dollars. Totally. Um and at the end of it, the movement, if it worked, the movement goes away. So like, we want to just go back and like mix it with this rich goodness of, of positive psychology. And uh, we want it to be that course that you always wanted to take. Mm -hmm. um, and you still have the time to take it and, and take it with a group of people that are just the coolest folks ever. And another thing uh, about what he was saying in terms of you know there's a lot of people kind of pulling on people's ego when it comes to legacy work um at the same time you know what always gets my goat is i've seen this so long in movement spaces is how you know things that are created by the populace things that are created on a grassroots level are you know co-opted as soon as corporations see that there's a way to to make money off of it um, i mean we see that even early on in the feminist movement where, you know, in the 1970s, 
they would uh, sell shoe polish saying, you know, uh, talking about creating a revolution. There was one that was actually an advertisement for uh, flavored douches talking about the power of having your own choice, you know, as an independent woman. Yeah. Cherry I mean, or lime. Right. I know. I know. It's, 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 it's amazing. Um, so there's, you know, this is not like it's something new. We can actually do a content analysis and we can see that this is, you know, I mean, you can see with anything, even if you talk about jazz or you're talking about rock and roll and blues, how mm. it gets co-opted from the communities that created it. So I see that a lot in talking about, um, you know, build your own movement. And it's like, they want to give you a toolbox of how you can sell your next product or how you can co-opt, you know, a key phrase. I mean, even if we look at the 1990s, uh, I talk a lot about how, you know, the Riot Girl movement was, you know, commodified and packaged into the Spice Girls. Um, where mm. if you li- compare the lyrics to something that, you know, Kathleen Hanna is singing about with Bikini Kill versus, you know, the Spice Girls, um, there's a very difference in lyrical content, right? Yeah. I'm not saying that the Spice Girls weren't catchy, um, but the point Definitely was that they were. weren't actually saying anything, right? <laughs> but they weren't saying anything. And it was like, here is, you know, you had these caricatures, almost like the same caricatures you had on Sex and the City, although mm. I love Sex and the City, I will be honest. Me too. But there was no depth. <laughs> There was nothing yeah. about a movement. There was nothing about a collective where it's like, oh, you can wear this baby doll t-shirt that said girls rock. And that means you're this. Mm-hmm. I saw, and you know, yoga starting in about 2002, all of a sudden it's like, oh, you can buy yoga gear. And I, I did a lot of work in terms of spiritual commodities. Um, you know, I called it Mick Yoga, the diet for spiritual <laughs> America. You know, did a paper on that going, oh, so now people think, if you buy these clothes and you have these, now I'm a yogi. Yeah. Now I'm a this. And, and and all it is is just, you know, a set of products. And so this has been really personally important for me as well because this is about actually teaching how do you actually community build? How do you actually create yeah. a movement? Which a movement is about a collective. The movement yeah. is not about, you know, one person. There, um, I don't know if you remember when, God, what was it, seven years ago when Slut Walk started after that incident in Toronto where the police officers told those women they wouldn't have been raped if they hadn't been wearing that, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Slut Walk started and there was one organizer here in LA uh, and it was a male ally, which it's a whole nother story what happened <laughs> with him. But um, there was this photo taken of him at the, begi- at the beginning of the uh, march in LA holding the sign with a couple of his students and uh, a wonderful friend of mine who has been doing work like this for 40 years, she even was one of the women who fasted for the ERA in the 1980s. She's like, a leader should never be in the front like that. Like if you have community organized this, you should not be in front of that photo op there. And I always, that always echoes in the back of my mind. It's like, this isn't about him or her. It's not just about us, but this is a collective. Why Mark was saying that you know we really are bringing in other people and um, you know mining them for their expertise and developing w- what is their area of mastery what do they have to share and as this grows our intention is to build mini courses that really integrate those particular people's areas of expertise their respective fields with what they've learned in Joy Revolution and create something new yeah you know? and just keep so- it being this ripple effect yeah. yeah. Because exactly. that's how that's how people learn and grow and shine. I, I love this. Can I just say, like, fucking props? Because <laughs> there is a need. There is a giant fucking need for this. Yes. And I think the way you you shared about legacy is the first time I've heard someone talk about it in a way that resonates. Because mm. like, I don't give a fuck about my <laughs> name, about my mm. brand. I want the things that I do to impact other people's lives enough that they own their shit to start impacting other people too, because that's where magic happens. Like you are one person, you can't do anything like you can, but you can't do enough. Right. And so it's, how can we impact others? So for anyone's listening right now, who's like, how do I do this on my own? Or like, I want to, I want to make a change right now. It's so good. Yeah. My facial expressions are on point. Y'all wish you could see, but for real, like someone who's like, okay, I want to make an impact, whether it's on a small, you know, like person to person level on a bigger scale on social media, on a, on a 
quote, legacy scale, whatever the fuck that even means, like, how can we start using in small ways joy um, or anything really as a vehicle for change? Like, what are some small things that you would say, like, this is you can implement right now and start making a shift in your own life? Yeah, well, I, I think one of the, the most power, I'm going to mess this quote up too. Oh no. <laughs> uh, so so the, the, the quote machine will be able to get this right for me. I but, have a quote machine. But, Ooh, I love it. But, uh, <laughs> but the Lord basically talks in this one quote that um, uh, uh, not, not only just happiness, but self-care is not only an act of self-indulgence, it's an act of political warfare. And so to be in a state of your highest joy capacity is for you to be your greatest self showing up. Mm -hmm. So remember, whatever it is that you go into, like we see a lot of bullcrap Instagrams with like people and they've got a wine glass and they're sitting in like a tub and you see the picture of the toes and it's like filtered. There's a filter. It's like self-care Monday. Yeah, do that. But also understand that self-care is filling your joy capacity Mm -hmm. And understanding that that joy capacity is going to is going to run low. So if you're feeling low in terms of hedonically, like I'm not I'm not getting those feel goods every day. I'm not getting sex. I'm not getting uh, you know I'm not getting the I'm not not getting the love. Like you got to find a way to do that. You got to mm. find you got to build up that hedonic happiness. And then you look at the other side of things. What is it that gets your ass out of bed in the morning? Mm. Who is it that you serve? For me, um, every morning, it's empower as many people as I can and have as much fucking fun as I can, okay. right? And that's my that's my th- that's my type of two types of happiness. I put those two together, and then I just go out in the world, and you just connect, just connect, and 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 that's how it started for me. But then sort of other things started to to erupt things that have always been important for me being a Filipino American, Mm -hmm. and balancing what happiness looks like to a collective unit, who sometimes wants you to be a doctor and stuff like that, right? And Mm -hmm. (laughs) mom and dad tear. And then like, (laughs) um, what does happiness look like in terms of this redheaded Asian that wants to go out and just do these cool things and be an entrepreneur? How do I mix those two things together? That's my revolution because there's thousands of other Filipinos that are going through it right now. So going out and connecting to them is a big deal to me. And the only way that I can do it is um, um, going out here in LA and meeting people or using social media for social good. Yeah. Rather than just posting selfies that I've been taking the whole time here. (laughs) You know, so I think that's one way. Um, Another thing is, be very vigilant of what we take for granted. Our society is built upon an invisible tapestry of cool stuff and shitty stuff. Mm. And the shitty stuff tends to keep us feeling small, uh, invisible, like we don't have a voice. And it's important for us as we start um, coming together as a collective to go and say, yo, that's not right. That's a microaggression. I'm in a room with photos of nothing but old white men yeah where is the representation here you know and they want me to donate ten thousand bucks to this like that's not happening and i need to speak up and i'm gonna speak up in joy so that's that's my take on things professor what's yours (laughs) so i I, first of all i love that he threw out the audrey lord quote so i i want to screw it up (laughs) no the the essence is totally there but i wanted to to say it again because it's such an important point which is caring for myself is not self-indulgence. It is self-preservation. And that that is an act of political warfare. Mm. Um, I remember when I really was going deep into mindfulness work and yoga, um, my grandmother, who I adore and is, is was my biggest champion, was also very critical and would like push my buttons, which I, I loved. And she would do it in this very loving way. And she said, gosh, isn't yoga and stuff like that just empty navel gazing? And, and I love that she That's said hilarious. that to me because for me, yeah, for me, I, I, I had been, uh, so I started practicing in 1996. So like 22 years ago, that was about two years after I'd come to feminism and sociology. And to me, from the get go, um, I couldn't separate them because they were each about mm-hmm. raising consciousness and they just made sense because 
you know, sociology and feminist consciousness and media literacy education were really tending to the intellectual parts of my being. And then when I came into yoga practice, I went, oh crap, this is totally subversive. This is the only space I have in the day where I am you know, tuning out the cacophony of voices who want to sell me shit and tell me that I'm not good enough and want me to compare myself to other people, that this is an, a, a, you know, a very conscious space that I'm going into to tune in with myself, check in with myself and get to know myself. And mm. to be honest, as a woman who had dealt with, you know, uh, distorted body image and disordered eating and low self-esteem and, you know, also emotionally abusive relationships, I went, oh, I don't even know who I am really yeah. anymore. I don't even know how to listen to myself. How can I, it's like, you know, trust yourself, empower yourself, but I don't even know who I am. Yeah. So going into that space allowed me to take all of the theories and the concepts that had been exciting for me and had uh, helped me make sense of my life as a woman in a patriarchal culture. But then coming into practice, I was able to kind of reprogram and, you know, set mm. new habit patterns so to me, that was obvious. It was like, they're totally subversive. They're radical. This is raising consciousness. But my grandmother, you know, as an outsider, she saw it as something different. And my first instinct was to get defensive because these things had liberated uh, me in a huge way. But then I stopped and went, oh, wow, I, I can see how it would appear to be so. And so <clears throat> uh, it, it really uh, forced me to go into why is this important? aside from my own, you know, mm. personal experience. And the Audre Lorde quote really captures it because we need to tend to the internalized oppression. We need to tend to all of the garbage that we've absorbed since the time we were born. We need to tend to our inner life and we need to, as Mark said, bring in whether it's joy, love, connection, the joy of love, the joy of connection, and to feel full to do this. Otherwise, how can we be effective instruments? I mean, mm when I talk about consciousness raising, I'm not talking about it even just as an abstract concept. I'm talking also specifically about the consciousness raising groups that, you know, radical feminists established between about 1968 and 1972. And they had taken that from, you know, literally the black liberation movement and civil rights speaking truth to power and saying, this is a political tool that if we do not deconstruct on a deeply internal level, mm. what's going on inside of us, there's no way we're, that we can do this work. We will replicate this toxicity, this unmanaged anger. And as Mark said, we're going to have another system that needs to be taken apart. Yeah. So for me, it's like doing the work, not just talking about it, mm -hmm. right? Really going into the fullness of the experience, going into, you know, the mind, body, spirit fully and exploring those places so that we can go out there and we can be recharged we can be refreshed, we can be rejuvenated, and we can speak from the experience of our own work as opposed to, again, just, you know, speaking in platitudes or getting on a soapbox. Yeah. And that also um, fine tunes our listening skills. Because the first thing I'll tell anyone, if you're going to go into a social justice space, you better learn how to be a good listener. Mm -hmm. And not get defensive, right? Because we're going to be triggered by things that we hear because we acknowledge that we have limitations in those capacities, mm -hmm. right? Yeah, totally. I just want to like put everything in a bubble of what you guys just said because I feel like the heart of it all, which is something that I preach so hard because I know what it's like to be not there, is putting yourself first, and is putting making self-care a priority because when you invest in yourself, in your happiness, in your health, in all of the things that are going to make your body and your mind, which are part of your body, I've never really understood the whole mind body thing. It's like literally <laughs> oh, I, that's a whole other your brain is, yeah, we should get back to that. But you know, like I just think that so few people, and I know because I was one of them, people pleasing, giving, 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 and not giving to myself. And so many people, especially women, are this way. And I know you guys listening are that way too, because I know you. And it's like, <laughs> you have to put yourself first because when you fill your cup up with all your self-care tools and the things that you know are going to make you feel great, 
you're going to have the energy to give and give from a place of love, of light, of actual intention, instead of just like trying so hard and desperately trying to do something because you're just not going to have the energy for it in the first place. So I love that. And I think that that's something that is so tangible, literally, whether it's like one tiny thing, like doing starting yoga and and taking 30 minutes or even a five minute meditation in the morning or journaling if you don't want to move your body, like whatever the fuck it is that's going to help fill your cup, do it and make that like schedule it, make that a priority for your day so that you can pour into other people. I love that so much. That's awesome, Louie. And I I think, I think one of the things that uh, not only we do in, in, in joy revolution, but I think a lot of people are, are realizing is that, um, uh, sort of this antiquated notion of uh, of, of uh, self care is one in which people think they have to hit rock bottom to go into yeah. self care. Yeah. Right. And so self care really the way that it would like the Audre Lords and and social justice folks who talked about the the importance of it, they talked about it from the standpoint that we are divine creatures. So why would we treat ourselves like shit? Mm -hmm. Why would we, you know, why would we do things that would lower our efficacy? And so um, uh, the notion of of self-care 2.0 is being proactive about increasing the size of your cup. Mm. Because the cup itself is is rigid and limited. But how can you do things that increase that size of the cup so you have more joy to contain that? Um, Can I talk I, about the cup really quick? <laughs> when it talks about the cup and increasing the capacity, uh, I just want to say that that is part of, you know, I do a lot of empowerment work with women and have for, again, 20 plus years. And empowerment has always been kind of my focus, like how from the inside out can we increase our capacity? Mm. And what I found is joy can be one of the inroads into actually increasing our capacity, which leads us into empowerment. And that was one of the ways I plugged that in. It's like, how can we contain more? How can we hold more? How can we manage more, but not in a way that's overwhelming? And joy is such a good way to Mm. do it because there's such a buoyant energy around joy that it's uplifting. You can feel the difference in your body when you're using that as, as, as a vehicle in. Okay. I'm going to go into like competitive mode with you. <laughs> I, I too will talk about one way that you can increase your cup. Um, and that's the art of receiving. We mm-hmm. so often give, 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 and give again that we never expect to receive. So for example, someone will say something to us on the smallest thing, you know, Loy, you're, you're, you've got the, the coolest show. The best way to wake up in the morning is, is this. And if you weren't in the art of receiving, you might say something like, nah, it's you guys, blah, mm-hmm. blah, blah. Or even like a little, the humble thing, the mm-hmm. humble, give me more. Mm-hmm. Um, the <laughs> art of receiving is truly taking in like, yeah, I am kind of a badass at that, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and then as you as you expand that art of receiving, you can expect that if you are doing, for lack of a better term, God's work with, with uh, sort of this idea of uh, being a divine self, this uh, person who's operating in joy, you damn well should expect to receive in return. Mm-hmm. And what you receive is sort of what you have in your mind. It could be, uh, it could be abundance in the form of, of of money. It could be abundance in the form of love and support. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of people think that in order to do the things that you love, you have to live like a pauper. Mm-hmm. And that's absolutely not true. To increase that cup, we can also increase our ability to receive. For me, that's been one of the hardest things. Totally. I so agree. I, I've really struggled with learning to receive. I my my other life my acting life it's like con- <laughs> it was constant work doing yeah. that cuz you finish a show and you leave and you go outside and all these people are telling you oh your work was fantastic or i so loved you in the show or telling you all these things and for the longest time i'd be like trying to avoid that you know like trying to skirt around it because i would just be so uncomfortable receiving that and it took a lot of practice of just saying thank you so much like i so appreciate you coming and just those words of saying thank you but then entering the entrepreneurial space it's like a whole world of receiving right and you're just like "Ah!" like i'm just gonna hide in my corner and i'm just gonna like i don't do this to receive praise but being able to 
and I'm trying not to say but and receiving that praise is a part of of the work we do and it's such a really important tool so I love that you I said that because that's something I don't think we've talked about that on the podcast before so receive your shit receive your shit so so whose did you like better Melanie's or mine (laughs) it is not a competition you guys are I want to add one more thing to self-care that I think is an important piece that's actually going to get to the mind body thing because I was like I know we could do a whole podcast on that but well we will Great. And we will, but Done. I can throw this in now is, you know, another thing goes back to actually, you know, what my, what my grandmother said in terms, this is empty navel gazing is we have to consider that we're living in, listen, a patriarchal culture and the way that power operates is, you know, through the dominator model, it's mm-hmm. power over. And they, when we think about the intellect, we think about the mind that has been gendered masculine in Greco-Roman cultures. And mm-hmm. so if we look at everything from the, you know, environmentalism, if we look at, you know, truly raping and pillaging the planet, as well as, you know, women and, you know, um, you know, non-binary folks, and we think about children, we think about um, subordinate masculinities, all of those things have been put on this level of like the primitive, mm-hmm. the bodily, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And so there has been a, a mentality for hundreds of years that these are things to be conquered. These are things to be dominated. These are lesser. They are weaker. They are evil. They are not to be trusted. That was the entire sort of, you know, mindset of westward expansion is like this needs to be tamed. Um, women's bodies need to be tamed and controlled. We can take that all the way to the witch burnings where it's mm. like, oh, the, yeah. this is suspect. This doesn't make sense. The, you know, women are temptresses. They're in league with the devil. And so the mind was really elevated, you know, on this pedestal as being um, really in connection with masculinity. And we're not talking about males as people born into male bodies, but we're talking about those human characteristics that we've gendered yeah. masculine mm-hmm. in our yeah. culture. They're more important. They're to be trusted. This is about rationality. This is about reason. This is about you know, bravery. And then everything that's sort of relegated to the feminine realm, it's like, you know, that can be empathy, that can be compassion, it can be love, nurturing, and those things are weaker, they're less important. So when we engage in self-care, this is not just talking therapy. Self-care really requires you to deal with the whole self, right? Mm. And so that means that we integrate the mind and recognize, like you said, it is part of the body. It is not just this, like I say, it's not just a brain on a stick walking yeah. around, which, <laughs> listen, look at a lot of people, the way that people move in the world in many ways is like they're just a brain on a stick. Mm. Um, you know, I have a long background of sort of examining people's postures and their gait and seeing that they are so disconnected from the vessels that they live in. And if you're truly going to engage in self-care, you have to integrate the whole self. And I think a lot of people have resistance because it seems like, oh, like that's not important work. Like I should be just feeding my mind. Why am I taking time to take a bath or take a walk or, you know, sit in meditation? Like that is, you know, just not a lucrative or important endeavor. So part of that is because we only really see part of ourself as being important and the rest is kind of unimportant if not like i said seen as problematic or suspect or potentially you know um you know if we think about women's bodies dirty unclean evil and so i think that on a very subconscious level that's a huge resistance to fully engaging in self-care done okay i had yeah no mic drop mic drop done (laughs) i Love it. I feel like I could talk to you both for fucking ever. So yeah. we'll definitely have to have yeah. you both on. Um, baby. But before we wrap up, I have some fun, fast questions for you. You ready? Yeah. All right. Yes. So you can answer this separately and or together, whatevs. But... You're going to try to beat me to the punch. Watch. <laughs> <laughs> no. Okay. Weirdest fun fact about you. Jeez, weirdest fun fact about me. Oh, I have one actually that um, when I, this is not fast, sorry. When I met Mark and we started talking, I said, yeah, I know this is kind of weird, but when I was you know, about 12, I was really into professional wrestling. I went to see Andre the Giant and he was like, are you kidding? I'm totally into wrestling. So that's a weird fun fact is that people see me oftentimes as like this feminist champion and, you know, doing all this work, but like, I love pop culture. I loved wrestling as a kid. I love watching Dancing with the Stars. It's a huge pop culture junkie. That's hilarious. Lloyd, we we just went to to a wrestling show and I had to put like 
almost tape over her oh. mouth. We heard signs. The kids were scared. It was amazing. That it was amazing. amazing. Mark and my son both were like, you were the loudest person there. She was, <laughs> she's this professor that's cheering at, like, she's cheering at everything. It was like she was going to throw tomatoes. It was that's amazing. great. I would have never um, thought that. So there you go. Totally. There you go, Blake. There you go. Well, what's your weirdest fun fact? Uh, weirdest fun fact. I don't know if this is weird or fun, but um, <laughs> uh, okay. I I, uh, I was selected for Team Philippines to skate in the Men's Roller Derby World Cup, and I skated under the name Manila Ice. <laughs> My jaw is on the floor right now. <laughs> for so many different reasons that I don't Manila even know. Ice, baby. <laughs> That's amazing. All right. Those are great fun facts. <laughs> All right. What's your favorite thing to do together? Ah! And this can be a separate question, a separate answer, because maybe you have, you probably have different answers. Um, my favorite thing to do is to watch a 90 day fiance and cuddle on the couch. That's what my is fiance. 90 day fiance? Yes. What is it's that? It's so bad. It's delicious. It's, is it a TV it's show? A terrible show. It's a terrible show about people who live in other countries who met online and then they basically get, you know, they become fiancés in like 90 days. It's, it's, like, it's kind of like the, there's a show, oh fuck, Married at First Sight is what it's called. It's like Married at First Sight. Yeah. Kind of like that. <laughs> Except it's long distance first. Yeah. Oh, and so, Lloyd, the thing was, we were long distance at first and I'd watch the show and then I'd call her terrified at being like, this is going to be fucked up. You're going to think I'm like three feet tall. Like she said it on the show. Oh my like, God. So I, I mean, I know we're segueing, but I have, I will we'll share this. The way we met was on his show, the golden mic. Oh, what? So, yes. That's how we met. And our relationship started before we ever met in person. Like we were already like fell in love before we actually met in person. And then it became this terrifying thing to be like, Oh my God, what about once we meet? Mm. And so he was watching 90 day fiance and horrified about when people met what their reactions were thinking that that would happen with us, which oh it didn't. Yeah. But yeah. So that's another fun fact for people don't know. It was like, we totally started a relationship and the joy revolution before we ever actually were in the same room together. Yeah, we did. That's we amazing. Did. I we mean, did. the power of yeah. social media and of the, the internet <laughs> is real. Social media good, baby. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Personal gain. And personal gain. <laughs> uh, um, what about you, Mark? <laughs> I think we push ourselves to, um, to uh, these levels of like, deep, deep, deep intimacy, um, uh, especially like post-coitally. Like, so like my favorite is like when we'll be talking and, you know, we, we've just had like an, a wonderful romp, right? And uh, that, that's why I'm using the words that I'm using right now. There's a little one downstairs, mm -hmm. but like we'll go in and we'll start talking about things and, and, and just uh, things that we totally forgot. So for example, one of my favorite things that happened was the first time we made uh we met had stomach issues and that's like the worst thing that can happen when you're meeting someone for the first time and yeah you care about them and like you know all that kind of stuff some of those stomach issues ended up finding its way on my shorts <laughs> mm, love <laughs> it whole, delicious this whole date, I, we were like hugging and kissing, like she, hands on each other and stuff. And there was crap on my pants. Which I washed later and didn't say anything. And about. she didn't say anything for months. Oh, she didn't say anything for months. Love. And so we were, we were just kind of talking about it. And I know that that's like, not to be crass, but that's like the mundane mm. stuff that I love about life. It's the middle of the night. Everyone is asleep. And it's our little inside joke, mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. And like, I'm embarrassed and she's cracking up. And like, it's just. <laughs> oh, I just wanted my shirt. Was like, yeah, <laughs> just, it's just. <laughs> but it's just those things, Lloyd, that I absolutely love about being with my partner. Yeah, I love that. And I love that that's like so relatable <laughs> because I feel, like most, <laughs> I feel like most people will answer this and be like, you know, when we go on these elaborate dates and they're so fancy and I'm like, um, like the other night when my husband told me the next morning 
This is so funny too. I will share a TMI thing because you shared one and that's only fair. But he, he was like, yeah, you totally had like the dankest fart last night (laughs) while you were sleeping because he tends to like fall asleep late longer. It takes him longer and he like reads for a while, but he had his hand like on my ass as I was sleeping, I guess. And like, just like ripped a fart apparently. And he was like, it was like, it like moved my hand. (laughs) Oh, that is like, that is like the best thing about intimacy. I mean, that's the best thing about intimacy. I love and it. And Mark did say he, you know, when I, we had had this kind of grand, exciting, magical romance uh, before we met in person too. It was just, you know, the whole, the tension of it, the long distance, the mm-hmm. late night FaceTiming, all of it. And I was like, oh, what happens when, you know, uh, you see me in the morning and all this, he goes, oh, I'm so excited about the mundane. He's like, that's the stuff I, I actually really want. And that was, um, that was really nice to hear because, yeah. you know, we had started on such like a yeah, level, higher of, level. Oh, yeah. how do we sustain that, you know? And yeah. I mean, okay, at this point you've shared a thing, he shared a thing. So I'm going to share a thing and try not to get too much detail. <laughs> um, but to still make my point, there was a time where we met in New York Oh, <laughs> <laughs> and we, uh, you know, we're doing the, our thing and he was <clears throat> behind and then later revealed that there was a little piece of toilet paper stuck <laughs> on me um that yeah and I I was like oh my god I was so mortified he's like would you want me to not tell you yeah, and I like... was like oh my god oh my god oh my god and so then I'm thinking in my mind yeah but I saw your poop I saw your poop I haven't told you but I, have. <laughs> I she had a one-up one it's all good. It's all good. On but um it. you know like yeah, it's, it's been, you know, we've had, I, I will say, no doubt. I mean, in many parts of our romance has been very fairy tale like and, you know, full of wonder and whimsy. And then there are those other parts and uh, including the last few days where, like I said, we personally together have been working through some stuff, um, not with each other, but just in general, mm-hmm. where it was like, oh my God. And then last night when we went to go see Wicked, we, you know, we went out and did this whole thing. I went, you know, actually... In the moment, I was so sort of overwhelmed by processing everything and, you know, what things were going to look like. But we went through that together and it mm-hmm. really was another opportunity to create more intimacy, like in the stress of it and yeah. the heat of it. And so, yeah, the the mundane aspects that Mark, you know, was so excited about, I can see now, they're, they're, they're fantastic. They have created, you know, really new levels. Yeah, they're so important. I love that. Yeah. All right. Last question. What does it mean to you to live a fuck yes life? Um, I'm going to say, you know, something that Mark said to me, like I, I get very excited around him because I feel I can fully be myself. So I'm like dancing around him. I'm pulling on a shirt. I'm sitting on him while he's trying to do work, like <laughs> doing all of that. And he's like, I don't want to continue. I love that you just fully live out. I don't mm. want to in any way diminish that. So I, I, I just say living, you know, living full out, just being completely yourself and being unapologetic and expressing that in every single way. Um, and I'd say for a long time, <clears throat> I was kind of containing some of those aspects of my personality to be manageable to others in my life. And uh, being with Mark has been really liberating because he he wants me to live full on out. And he even said that if I felt that I couldn't live full out with him. He wouldn't want to be with me because he wouldn't mm. want to, you know, dampen my spirit. So I love that. My, yeah. Um, I, I agree. I can't, I, I can't, I'm, I won't be as eloquent as Melanie, but um, I am thinking about um, my boy, Carl Jung, um, who went and said um, what one can be, what you can imagine you can be, you must be that. Mm. And when you're asking me what does it mean to live a fuck yes life, you're imagining what you can be and you're saying fuck yes to going after that. Mm. You may not know the, the, the route, you may not know the plans, but you're just saying fuck yes to it and going all in. I love it. I love it so much. Thank you guys so much for just being your badass selves and like owning your shit and just being vulnerable and amazing. I am obsessed with you both. So <laughs> we'll definitely have to have you both on. Yeah. Um, where I can know. everyone listening, the, all of this will be in the show notes for you guys for sure. But where can they connect with you guys on social media, um, about the joy revolution, all that fun stuff? 
Um, well, we're, I mean, I'm all over social media. I'm at Mel Mel Klein. I also am at YBI Coalition. That's the Yoga and Body Image Coalition. Mm-hmm. We just set up our Joy Rev Instagram. So that's happening. Um, where are you? Yeah, for the time being, um, I, I, I don't know when the show will go live, but um, uh, the website will be thejoyrevolution.org. Great. Um, and if you want, if you want a book on like positive psychology, I just, I just wrote one. It's about to come out and I'd be happy to give it to your listeners. Um, if you just email me and, and tell me that you heard me on, on, uh, fuck yeah podcast or the fuck yeah life podcast, mm-hmm. um, Mark M-A-R-C at Mark M-A-R-C Cordone C-O-R-D-O-N Mark at markcordone.com. Tell me you want a book and I'll get you one. Great. Awesome. Yeah. And this will be going live in 2019. So there will be perfect oh, be timing up. and they can grab all of that fun stuff. Thank you guys so much. You're amazing. And I'm sure you guys will be seeing a lot more of them in the future. And there you have it. Thank you guys so much for listening. And thank you, Melanie and Mark, for coming on the pod and sharing your wisdom and all of the juicy, hilarious goods. For all of the things we chatted about today and all the show notes, be sure to flip on over on your phone or head over to amandacatherineloy.com. That's Catherine with a K, like kite, forward slash podcast, forward slash 47. And until next week, I will see you guys on the interwebs. Come say hey on Instagram say hey in the Facebook community and say hey with a review if you're feeling good. And if you love this episode, make sure you share it. Give some love to Melanie and Mark and I will see you guys next week. Bye-bye.